Hello and welcome. I am Kim Keen, host of the One of a Kind You podcast. I started this podcast to share my journey of my past self, a woman who was struggling with leaving her teaching career and adjusting to stay-at-home mom life, to help other women with their motherhood journeys or their work-life balance journeys so they can let go, make themselves a priority without all the sacrificing. So if you're a regular listener of One of a Kind You, thank you so much for tuning into another episode. I'm so excited that you're here. And if you're a new listener, thank you so much for taking the time to stop by and check it out to see what it's all about. So for my regular listeners, you know that I usually read my journal entry and then I reflect on what I know now as a certified life coach and what I wish I had known then. But today we're going to mix it up a little bit and we have a special guest. Her name is Tracy Osborne and she is uh, the founder of the Global Association for Trauma Recovery. She has very interesting things that she does around trauma, but the one that um, I find the most interesting, well, they're all interesting, but this one, I was like, wait, what is this? It's a pet end of life doula. And so that I just think I have two dogs, Franklin, we just had a cancer scare with him in December and he had a cancerous growth removed from his foot. And I didn't know if that was going to be the end of my poor chow, Franklin. And so I was like, oh my gosh. So that I think is just incredible because, um, as pet owners, we get so connected to our pets and, um, to have someone help them and us through that process is fascinating. So before we talk trauma and humans, I need to know about this pet doula afterlife, but first you can tell us more about yourself if I didn't cover enough of it. (laughs) Well, thank you, Kim, for having me on your show. I really appreciate it. Of course. Um, course. So I I guess in a nutshell, I am a uh, trauma survivor myself. I am a survivor of domestic violence, sexual assault, rape, uh, grief, and um, childhood emotional abuse. Um, those have all kind of led me to where I am today. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, that's losing, where our connection is. Yeah, I'm, yeah. Losing I also my husband, violence, childhood emotional neglect, right. and so um, there's sexual abuse and and that type of trauma in my family history. So, um, yes, yeah, so we yeah. connect on all of those levels. And so, like you, like me, it brought you to where you are now. So, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So, um, back in 2019, I lost my husband. Uh, to a a massive heart attack. Thank you. Um, And that prompted me to really dive into trauma work, to Mm -hmm. work with um, other survivors and help them to heal and move forward, let go of their past and Mm -hmm. all of that. Um, So I became a certified trauma recovery coach. And when I you know, hung out my shingle for my coaching business, I, I noticed two things. One, excuse me, I noticed that I didn't feel comfortable charging for my services Mm. for some reason. Um, it just, this particular line of work, I did not feel right asking for money, which, you know, I got to pay the bills, but you know, it just, you have to be in alignment. Mm -hmm. The other thing I noticed is that the people who really needed my help didn't have the money to pay me anyway. Yes. Um, and that's what prompted me to create the global, global association for trauma recovery. Mm-hmm. And so I started that last year and the main purpose of the nonprofit is to be a resource in a platform for people, for survivors to come to find the answers they need, find the resources they need, um, get peer to peer support through our free community and, uh, 
one of the programs that we're creating this year is a funding program that will allow us to pay for mental health services for those who need it and can't afford it. Mm, So powerful because it's so, 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 so needed. And when you can't get it and you know you need it, it's the most um, frustrating thing. And it just perpetuates those feelings of hopelessness and being defeated and you know, the things that you don't want to feel and you're trying to move out of, but it's like that chicken and the egg, the running on the endless hamster wheel of trying to make it work, but not getting anywhere. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, in fact, in some, some studies that I've been sent, um, almost half of Americans who were surveyed, uh, said that they needed mental health care, but could not get it or did not Mm -hmm. get it. So, it is a huge, huge necessity, not just here in the States, but globally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, while we're, we're starting things off kind of here in the States, the, the whole idea is to be able to expand um, and, and adapt our programs to different countries. Mm, so love it. Um, yeah. So there's a lot of work there to be done. Yeah. Um, and then the pet doula, pet death doula is uh, brand new. I, mm-hmm. I just am in the process of, of getting this up and running. And the idea came from, I keep seeing these posts on social media saying that, you know, a certain percentage of vets say that like 90% or 99%, I can't remember the, the numbers of their clients aren't in the room when the pets are being euthanized. They, they just can't be in the room. And I got to thinking about that. And I'm like, well, I wonder if that's a service I could provide because I have no problems being in the room. Um, in fact, it's a requirement to be a pet of mine that it, when you die, it has to be in my arms. That is like my law. Yes. yes. Um, <laughs> you know, some of them have escaped without it, but um, no, that, that's my rule is, is you, you know, you, you have to die in my arms. Um, and so I thought, you know, maybe that is a service I could provide. And, you know, and I kind of just put it on the back burner and then I kept seeing the post and I kept seeing the post and I thought, you know what, let me, let me look into this some more and come to find out it is a thing. Um, I had no idea that it was a thing. No, I didn't either. I I didn't either. It's, it's new, you know, the industries, there's a, a, a couple of people who've been doing this for a long time, but you know, the the industry of being a pet death doula is, is brand new. Um, and so, you know, doing some more research and stuff, basically what I do is I provide different support depending on, you know, of course, what everybody needs. One of the things is the euthanasia support. So either I will be in the room with you and your pet, uh, when the time comes, or if you can't bring yourself to be in the room, I will stay in the room with your pet. Um, the other thing that I do is help with the end of life planning. So, you know, you've got your pet, you know, it's a a senior, you know, that the time is coming, but before all that happens, you know, let's sit down and figure out the, the plan for, you know, when the time comes, it's, it's not something anybody enjoys talking about, um, you know, much like sitting down with your, your parents and saying, okay, guys, do you have your, your you know, funeral planned and, 
you know, your ducks in a row and nobody wants to talk about that, but we have to. Yes. We have to. And um, the last thing you want to do is have to make these decisions in grief, you know, whether it's a person or an animal, um, you know, when you lose them, the last thing you want to have to do is start thinking about, okay, now, you know, I've got all these choices. What am I going to do? So I can sit down with either locally or on, on zoom if there were, you know, anywhere in the U S um, or really anywhere in the world, but you know, so we sit down and we talk, okay, let's talk about euthanization versus natural death. What are the differences? What are the advantages? What are the disadvantages? What do you expect with either, or, you know, that kind of thing. Um, what are you going to do after the pet is gone? Are we going to have a burial? Are we going to cremate? If we're going to cremate, are you going to cremate by itself? Are you going to do a, you know, just put it in with a big group of cremation? Do you want the ashes back? You know, are you going to bury in your yard versus a pet cemetery? I mean, there's so many different options out there that people don't necessarily know that they have. Yeah. Um, you know, are you going to do some kind of a memorial service? People actually do hold funerals for their pets. Um, you know, what kind of mementos are you going to want? Do you want a paw print? Do you want something made from the ashes? Um, you know, so there's there's a lot of different decisions and and options and stuff out there. So yeah, more my, than I my role, do. Yeah, my role is to, you know, bring it to you and help it not feel overwhelming mm-hmm. and help, help you create a plan for when it happens. Um, when the time comes, you know, not to, not to say that everything's always going to go according to plan because right. you know, it's life, yes. but at least we have some sort of a plan in place for when the time comes, are we going yes. to bring in, um, animal hospice? Uh, you know, what does that look like? Do you want to do an in-home euthanasia versus at your vets? You know, so there's, there's just all kinds of things that, that people can just not, yeah, think about and not even know. Um, and so that's, that's my role is to bring all that together. And then the other thing that I provide is grief support. Yeah. You know, with my trauma background, basically what I did is I took my trauma background Mm -hmm. and I took my animal background and I married them together. Love it. So, you know, I also provide grief support. Yeah. Which is huge. Um, the only animal I've had to put down is, um, when we bought our house in Maryland, we inherited the outside cat that lived at the house and, um, he was not taken care of medically. So, Mm -hmm. um, like never, so it was rural. There were skunk and turkeys and fox and deer and all kinds of critters that lived out because we had eight acres living in the woods on the back end of our property and then there was a big river that became a creek at the back there too so when we got him he had this horrible eye infection and we later found out it was feline leukemia and herpes in his eyes because he was never vaccinated and we had him three years and then um the eye it was awful awful and so um i had to put him down and uh, my girlfriend came with me because she has put her has done it before and i never had so she was with me it was the hardest thing i've ever had to do and so then to think about doing it with my franklin i was just like oh i don't know um so it's not an easy thing and 
so we have, you know, Julio's right up on my shelf up there, but he, you know, we got, did his ashes in a private cremation and we got his paw print and they put his name on the little paw print, um, impression. So he's right up there. And so, um, yeah, so that was just, that was, that was more than I can manage. So to then even just thinking about it for the, the, the animals that I have now, I I'm like, nope, can't talk about it. And same thing with, you know, when my husband yeah. and I did our wills and our planning, it was so hard. I put it off for like five years because I would just, my eyes would well up with tears. I'm like, I just can't even talk about it. I can't go into an attorney's office and cry. Like we just, I can't do it yet. I can't yeah. do it yet. It's just, it's yeah. a hard thing, but it's like, it's inevitable because nothing and no one lives forever. Exactly. And you know, um, that was really something that Mark and I never really talked about. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I kind of knew his wishes and I, I, you know, I knew that he had, <clears throat> excuse me, a lot of the same ideals and ideas as me. So, <clears throat> you know, when he's in the hospital on a ventilator and on life support and, you know, we don't know if what the brain activity would be mm-hmm. like, or, you know, if he would come back at all, if we took him out of sedation or anything like that, you know, I I'm, I'm left with that choice. Um, and so it's okay, what do I do? Well, now his body is, you know, he, he's got pneumonia, double pneumonia, and he's got this, his kidneys are shutting down and, you know, we've got all this other stuff. And so it's, you know, I had to make that decision for him because we didn't ever talk about it. Yeah. Um, but I did know that the last thing he wanted was to be kept alive by machines. Mm -hmm. Didn't know if he wanted cremation or burials. So I went with cremation because that's what I believe in, mm-hmm. you know, but again, we, we never talked about it. And that's something that, um, you know, you just have to talk about when my dad died, he at least had, he had a six month window. He knew that it was mm-hmm. coming. Um, so he and my stepmom got everything in order. Uh, they you know, prepaid for the funeral and, and for all of that, um, got all their affairs in order. I mean, everything. And so when the time came, it was easy. We didn't have to go and pick out coffins. Of course we had them cremated anyway, but you know, the only thing we had to pick out was, um, the little individual urns that us kids got with some of his ashes. Yeah. And, and it made it so much simpler because that way we were able to just grieve and be there for each other as opposed mm-hmm. to, okay, gosh, now we got to pick a coffin. We got to d- decide on music and you know, all that. So yeah, yeah, it's, it's a hard conversation, but it, it has to be had. Yeah. And I think the, the conversation piece, having the hard conversations, it's not just around death too, but it's, it's life in general. So like mm-hmm. when we are struggling um, from trauma or from some mental health issues that we're going through, having the conversation is really a challenge, really a challenge. So, um, I guess the question I have for you is after your husband passed away, you have kids. So then you become single mom. So who did you have those conversations with when you were having a tough day, managing the fact that your husband was gone or that you were trying to keep it together for your kids and making sure that, you know, you were getting them where they needed to be or cared for in the way that they needed. Who did you turn to? Well, I was, I was fortunate in that. Um, number one, my kids weren't his, they were his stepkids. Oh, okay. Um, and number two, two of my kids were grown. Okay. So they were, you know, they stepped in 
And mm-hmm. they were huge, huge helps for me. Um, and as far as the two younger ones, they were, you know, they're teenagers. They were sophomores, I think, in high school, maybe freshmen. I, I don't know. Um, yeah, I think sophomores. But anyway, you know, so they were old enough to understand. Um, and but still, I couldn't really turn to them to grieve, you know, um, because they, they didn't really get along with Mark. Mm. Um, there was that step parent issues there, you know, and, um, and they were sad, but they were more sad for me. And they were more sad for my youngest granddaughter because Mm -hmm. she was, she was grandpa's girl. They were, they were best friends. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I turned to, I turned to Facebook actually, and I joined some widow groups and that is what really got me through was finding those support groups, um, of people who, who understood who've mm-hmm. been there, who've been through it. They understood when I would go into the group and I would just kind of whine and moan, you know, I, I just want him back. I, I can't. I can't stop crying. I, I can't eat. I, you know, I, I just want to sleep all the time. They got it. Yeah. And they were able to With really no provide. Yeah. They were really able to provide support. Um, one of my best friends today, I met him in that group and um, he's actually local. He lost his wife, I think about six months before me. Um, and so we've been able to be that support for each other which has just been fantastic. Um, so yeah, so that was, you know, that was pretty much what I did was I I turned to people who got it. Yeah. And I think that's such an important thing is turning to someone who gets it, um, Mm -hmm. because they can show up for you without that judgment Mm -hmm. and have that immense amount of compassion that's so needed. Um, because oftentimes what we do is we turn to people who don't necessarily understand what we've been through. They haven't walked in our shoes And so the advice and the support that they try to give, they intend for it to be helpful, um, but they just don't really get it. And so sometimes that can leave us feeling like we're spinning our wheels even more because we go to them looking for support or advice. And then what they give is um, not necessarily helpful. It's like a little off. Oftentimes it's hurtful. uh, Yes. And it's hurtful. And, And so then it leaves you even more upset and confused than what you started with. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and like you said, they mean well, so, you know, going up to somebody who just lost their spouse and, oh, well, you know, they're in a better place now they're no longer hurting. God can take care of them better than you anyway. Things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, we just kind of sit there and, okay, thanks. But what we're really thinking is screw you. I want my spouse back, you know? (laughs) Um, And so, yeah, so there's, you know, there's things that people, and I took it in stride. I knew that they meant well when they came to me with, with stuff like that. Um, you know, so I just kind of like, let it go over me. But, uh, the other thing too, is everybody comes out of the woodworks for like the first couple of weeks, right. When somebody passes, um, everybody, everybody's there, you, you get food, I had my friends, um, or my daughter's friends, 
um, one of them was a cop and he offered to lead a funeral procession for me in a, you know, in this cop car. And I'm like, thanks. We're not doing that. You know, but everybody came out to, to kind of be there for me. And then right around that two week mark, they all disappear. And, and that's what I find for a lot of, a lot of trauma really is that when the trauma first happens, everybody's right there for you. And then after yeah. about a week or two or three, they all kind of fade back into the background because they don't want to keep bringing it up because they don't want to keep hurting you. And they're afraid that if they bring up whatever happened to you, it's, it's going to re-trigger you. They don't know how to, how to act. They don't know what to say. Um, and so they're almost uncomfortable to be around us. Whether it's, you know, somebody who's just come out of domestic violence, somebody who's been raped, somebody who lost their husband, somebody who lost their pet, whatever it is. Um, and, and we tend to pull back because we don't want to burden them. Yeah. You know, that's why I went into the support groups. I don't want to burden my family with them knowing that, you know, my heart is breaking and I just want to go to sleep and I don't want to wake up again. I, I don't want them to, to have to worry about that. No, mom's not going to kill herself. Mom just hurts and wants the pain yeah. to stop. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people who, who've been there got that. And yeah, so it's, um, it's really tricky when it comes to, to trauma support. Um, when, when you're dealing with somebody who's been through something, especially if it, if you've never been through it. Yeah. And I think too, we say to, to someone, you know, what do you need from me? But a lot of times we don't know what we need from that person because we haven't been through something like this before. So it's hard to really articulate what exactly it is that we need, um, in that moment in terms of saying, this is what I need. Thank you so much for offering. And, and two, it's like, uh, you know, people say that with hopes that you just say, Oh, could you just bring me a dinner for one night? Because that's something that's easy to manage. But if you were to say to someone, I need you to sit down and I need to tell you everything that's on my heart right now, people are like, oh God, that's not really what I meant when I said what you need from me. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. Like, I, don't know I, 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 I meant more like, do you need me to go get you some toilet paper from the store? You know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah. So what I find is best when you're doing that is instead of saying, what can I do for you? Or how can I help you? Because most of the time, people aren't going to take you up on that because again, they don't want to burden you. Right. So it, it could be something like, Hey, I'm going to the store, you know, what can I pick up for you while I'm there? Mm -hmm. Or, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm taking the kids to the park. Can I take your kids too? Or, you know, stuff like that. So instead of, of them having to, you know, um, ask you for help, basically you're, you're saying, this is what I'm doing this is a specific kind of help I can give you right this second. Yes. And it makes yes. it a little bit easier for us as survivors to say, you know, yeah, while you're at the store, can you get me X, Y, Z? Yes. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And I think too, um, you know, the, just the level of support, whether it's from friends or family, people who have been through what you've been through and can offer, you know, the compassion or the support that you're needing. I think the biggest thing though, is to just remember that we're not alone in this. Um, because that was one thing I often felt, um, going through therapy and even after I left therapy and was, and was going to see a life coach, I just always felt so alone. 
um, because I didn't want anyone, I didn't want anyone to know that I was struggling, especially Mm -hmm. not from childhood trauma. Um, because there's on some level, like I had it in my mind that people would look down on me, like I couldn't cope with life. And so therefore I was a bad mom or a bad partner or like a loser or whatever. And so I really kept that close, like kept those decks of cards very close. And I didn't want anyone to know that I was struggling. And in doing so, I really isolated myself. And then I felt even more alone than I already did because I didn't want anyone to know. Yep, exactly. Um, There's so much stigma around um, trauma, around mental health issues. You know, when we're depressed, we have anxiety, um, you know, that kind of thing that, yeah, we we tend to just, like you said, we, we don't want anyone to know. So we just keep it close to the chest and what is already a situation where we're already feeling alone and isolated is exacerbated. Yes. Because, yep. yeah, because we, we don't want to be, oh, she's just the crazy widow or she's that crazy person or, you know, um, you have to walk around egg, or walk on eggshells around her because you don't want to set off her anxiety or, you know, panic attacks or whatever. Um, so, yeah, so we, we just, like you said, play those cards close to our heart and um, put ourselves in a bubble of isolation. Yeah, which makes the the pain and the suffering that much more oh, yeah. difficult and challenging. Um, and it, it's, it convinces us that we're the only one having these problems. So a lot of times what I did was I said to myself, oh, you know, no other parent is, no other mom ha- has the issues that I have. They're not anxious. They're not codependent. They're not suffering from childhood emotional neglect. They haven't been in abusive situations. <laughs> so they have all the coping strategies. That's why they're so patient with their kids. And that's why they're dressed so perfect. And I'm showing up to mommy and me with my hair in a messy ponytail and old Navy yoga pants that had way too much dog hair on them. <laughs> so then I started creating this story in my head about how I was this broken, horrible person, this horrible mom. And then everyone else was so much better than me. Yeah. Because yeah. of the, you know, because of the, the stigma that I had fallen into really. And believing that stigma was true. When the fact is, is, you know, oftentimes, number one, we don't know what somebody else's story is unless they've told us. Yes. Um, and a lot of people will put on that facade. So mm-hmm. the perfect hair, the makeup, you know, everything is, I mean, they're like the ideal mom. And um, part of that is a facade, but part of that is also a way that they control their trauma. Yeah. So they feel out of control over here, but if they have, you know, their hair is perfect, their nails are done. Um, you know, the kids are clean. That is something they can control. And so, you know, those of us who, um, show up with the messy hair and, Uh and whatever, um, yeah, it does make us feel like, oh my God, I'm just a slob. Look at her. You know, she's perfect. She's got everything everything together her life is amazing and we make these judgments on people and we we truly don't know their stories yeah and usually the judgment that we make it's actually you know about them but to make us worse than what we are Mm. yeah absolutely yeah and and really it's more of a reflection of who we are when we judge somebody yeah hurt 
a hurting yeah. person. Yeah. 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 And so I, and so that's why I really wanted to chat with you today. But it's because like, you've, you've been there, you've um, come through it. And so much so that you're now able to create this association to help other people go through their trauma recovery. I just think that's so important because um, when you're in the thick of it, it can feel so alone and isolating and really like it's never going to end and there's nowhere to turn. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. And one of the things that, um, you know, I always like to leave people with is you're not alone. Mm-hmm. No matter what you've been through, what you're going through, there is somebody out there who has been there and they get it. Um, and then the other thing that I like to leave people with is that there is hope and there is life after trauma. Yes, I have myself. I'm like, yes, mm-hmm, absolutely. There is hope. And then I'm like, wait, I'm muted because the dog is barking again. <laughs> I'm like trying to find the unmute button and it's not working. <laughs> Zoom is saying, you're muted. I'm like, I know Zoom. I'm trying to unmute. Hold on, work with me here. <laughs> so, I um, mean, of course, now the dog is barking right below me. It's like she was over on the other side of the house where I could hear her, but not that much. And then she's like right downstairs under my roof. I'm like, dogs, this is an important conversation. Zip it. <laughs> Um, but yes, oh my gosh, that's the thing is that there is hope. Yes. Hope and, and not, you know, not going through it alone and really seek out that resource, that support system, um, because the hope is the most important part and having that support system can help you hang on to that feeling of hope instead of, um, getting lost in those feelings of helplessness. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So powerful. So powerful. And Um, I think sometimes it's hard to hang on to hope, especially when we're in the thick of it. So, um, was that something that you struggled with hanging on to hope when your husband first passed away? Um, I, I struggled with hanging on to, um, um, being awake. (laughs) I think I slept like the entire first three months that he was gone. Um, sleep was my salvation, but yeah, it, it was, I, you know, I think I had a little bit more um, advantage because of my background um, and, and all of that. But still, um, it was, I, I still went through those, you know, I want him back. Um, I got angry with him. I, I got so mad at him. Uh, probably a couple of weeks afterward, I had his urn and I had pictures on my nightstand. And I just got so mad at him one day. I was like, you know what? I'm done. You're going in the closet until you've learned your lesson. <laughs> and yeah. I had to put yeah. him away. I, I had to put him away. Um, yeah. You know, and, and so I just had to kind of go through those feelings and figure them out and, and just let them happen. Um, and I don't know that I gave up hope because you know, there wasn't really anything I could really, um, hope for other than to just get through it, I guess. Yeah. You know, it's not like, um, I I hope that he can come back. I'm sure. I hope he can come back, but that's not reality. (laughs) Um, but just like, I guess hope that you're going to get through it and that things are going to be okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I knew, I, I knew I would be okay. Um, I know that I'm a, a very strong person. 
Um, I have a strong support system around me. My, my kids are amazing when it comes to um, all of us pulling together to help somebody. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so I, I knew that eventually I would be okay. I just knew that I had to really just allow myself to experience the grief and not hold it back like I've done in the past. Yeah. I think that's another important thing is just experiencing it Mm -hmm. and feeling the feels because it's not easy to experience it. It's not easy to feel, feel it, you know, recovering from any type of trauma. It's not easy to go through those feelings. And so what, what feels better is to stuff them down or, or not allow them to come. And so I think that's another huge takeaway is to really just, you know, get a good support system Mm -hmm. so that you can have hope that, you know, it's going to be okay. Um, but also to feel the feelings and let those emotions come. And because I think when you do that, then the process it's not as long or maybe not as painful. It's easier to navigate on some level because you're allowing yourself to be present in the situation and being okay with what's coming up even though it's not easy and it doesn't feel good. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, in the past I, I would shove everything down. I I'm a workaholic by nature. So I would, I would just work even more. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, when Mark died, it was, it, it was different. I, I almost forced myself mm-hmm. to allow it to happen, to allow the grieving process to happen. Yeah. Um, you know, just told myself, okay, this is what we need. It's okay to, you know, work for five minutes and go sleep hours. It's okay. Um, it's okay. If all we're going to be able to eat for the first month is ice cream, because that's pretty much all I ate for the first month. That sounds Um, perfectly acceptable to me because I love um, ice cream. Completely acceptable. (laughs) Um, and, and yeah, just, you know, if I needed to, if I needed to get angry, I got angry. If I needed to cry, I cried. Mm-hmm. Um, my, my kids got to the point where if they came in and they saw me bawling, they would just be like, are you having a moment? Yeah, I'm having a moment. They know, just let me cry it out in about five, 10 minutes. I will be fine again. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's been almost three years and I still have my moments. Yeah. Um, you probably always you know, will. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I'll always miss him. Yeah. Um, But, you know, the reality is I can't unhappen what happened. Right. Yeah. And that was where I was stuck for a lot, for a good chunk of my healing journey when I was seeing the therapist is I was so stuck Mm -hmm. on the fact that it happened. And I was in this like, coulda, woulda, shoulda, wished it hadn't happened. And I went past that. Yeah. Oh and yeah. Not and that's that much harder. You know, why did it happen to me? Um, that is all completely normal to feel. Yeah. What's not normal is to get stuck there. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it can be hard not to get stuck for sure, because it's, oh, totally. like you said, very raw and totally. very painful. And so, and that's where the support system comes in because they can help you get unstuck. 
objective view and be like, okay, I know where you're at. I've been there. Yeah. And this is what helped me, um, you know, maybe that's something you should look into or, you know, whatever, um, you know, Hey, it, it looks like you're getting stuck in your grief. And while that happens and it's okay, you need to really, you know, figure out how to continue moving forward. Yes. Or whatever it is. Yes, absolutely. Well, it's been amazing talking to Tracy. She is a wealth of knowledge. I still am mind blown over the whole pet end of life doula. Um, <laughs> still, I'm like, wow, the coolest thing ever. Um, because I think that's such a, a needed service, especially for everyone who loves their fur kids. Um, mm-hmm. I just, I, I just learned something new about end of life pet things. And I just find that fascinating. Um, but I think the biggest takeaways that Tracy shared with us today are support, get that support system. That's huge. Keep having hope. And, um, the last one I want to say is don't get stuck in it. Just keep moving forward. And, um, and it's okay to feel the feels like just let the process happen the way that it's meant to happen naturally allow it to unfold and just embrace it. Even if it's not the easiest thing, um, because that circles back to having that support system. So if you want to chat with Tracy, is it okay? If the listeners want more information and they want to reach out. Absolutely. Perfect. So we will have all of Tracy's information linked in the show notes for you so that you can, um, get in touch with her if you need to have support from her um, trauma recovery association, if you're interested in pet life doula. Um, so she is amazing. And thank you so much, Tracy, for coming on one of a kind you. I'm pleasure. so thankful for your time. It's been such a pleasure having you on the show. And thank you so much for tuning in. If you found this episode helpful, please feel free to share it with a friend. The more the merrier. And also, if you would be so kind to leave a review, I read all of the reviews and I take all of the feedback that you provide so that I can keep making one of a kind you the resource and the support system that you're looking for. And I just thank you so much for tuning in and we will see you next week.